Hi, welcome to valuationpodcast.com, a podcast and video series about all things related to business and valuation. My name is Melissa Gregg, and I provide online divorce mediation and valuation services in St. Louis, Missouri. Today, we will discuss preserving a family business when the owners divorce with Bob Boyd. He's a divorce lawyer in Atlanta. He's also the co-founder of Boyd, Collar, Nolan, Tuggle, and Roddenberry, and is a leader in family law who has received recognition from his colleagues across Georgia and the nation for his work in high net worth divorce litigation and contested custody cases. Welcome, Bob. How are you? Great. Glad to be with you. Oh, this is going to be so amazing. So we have a lot of information to provide to business owners that may be contemplating divorce and they always have questions. And I think they're not always wanting to reach out to somebody initially to ask all these questions, right? Um, Cause they don't want anybody to know what's going on and they're kind of thinking about the process. But if we start talking about divorce and family businesses, when a couple owns a business together and they consider divorce, sometimes they're working together, sometimes they're not, right? But what are some of the key factors that they need to consider in this process, uh, either before they get divorced or as they go through? You know, Melissa, I guess the place for us to start is to think about essentially three things have to happen if they're going to get divorced. Uh, one spouse is going to buy out the other they're going to sell the business, number two, or um, they remain co-owners. Those are really the three results. Um, and I think that the order in which I gave those is, is probably uh, the pecking order of preferences that I would, uh, that I see most often. Uh, so, you know, if, if, couple that's co-joined in a business or think they realize that thinking about getting divorced, the smartest thing for them to do is to figure out what are we going to do with the business? Sometimes that's easy. Sometimes that's tough. And I think realistically, somebody has to recognize if we're getting divorced, it might not be that easy to figure out what we're going to do. Right. And I think that sometimes the courts, you know, it, it divorce is state specific. I'm over in Missouri, do a lot of work in Missouri and Illinois, you're in Georgia. And so somebody getting divorced in a different state may have different, you know, the judge could determine certain things. There are some um, courts in Missouri that may not want to see a couple continue to own a business after divorce. Do you see courts have a particular preference in this? Um, I cannot i was thinking about this as we were getting ready for today i cannot recall any time that i've seen a court uh keep two folks in business together mm -hmm. uh, i've seen people settle cases and stay in business together which i've always thought was problematic but uh, i think the most common thing that i see happen in the courtroom is if assuming that one spouse wants to stay in the business, then they figure out a formula. How do you buy out the other spouse for a proper uh, price? Right. And I think, it, but I think it's good for business owners to know that it's, it's not a process of like, oh, well, 
forget it. I'm just going to sell this thing. Like you're, you're, you know, like everybody kind of gets a little emotional about the business, but realistically there is a process to go about, um, you know, valuing the business or looking at it in the court context. And you talked about settling too. So there's a lot of options for the couple. Um, but what are some of your first recommendations to the business owner on how to move forward in the divorce, either talking to the spouse or just in general, what are some steps? Well, I will tell you, the first thing I tell them is, I I don't mean to sound kind of trite, but say, do not let the tail wag the dog. In other words, don't let the divorce cause you to make business decisions that you would not otherwise normally make. Some people get into this mode of, oh, okay, I'm going to do whatever I can to undervalue the business, et cetera. That's, that is just not a good plan for anybody. So that, that's the first thing that I tell them. Uh, the second thing that I do is that, okay, if you want to keep the business, uh, we're in the legal system. We're going to have to have a reputable person come in and do evaluation. And then I tell them, we've got two options for that. Uh, one, I can go to your spouse's lawyer and see if we can agree on a neutral appraiser. Or we can just go out and hire our own appraiser um, to do evaluation. But that's where you're going to start. You're going to hire a valuation expert with all the credentials, uh, hopefully somebody that has experience valuing businesses of this type, and, and start that process. And I tell them, lastly, don't don't play hide the ball with your records. You've got to have an open book. You've got to have accurate information because that's the only way, if we end up in court, that we're going to have a valuation that we can support. Well, and I think that, you know, business owners always get a little concerned when some, oh, somebody's going to be looking at my financial records. But the reality is most small business owners do run some personal items, you know, through their company. Um, It's completely normal. And a lot of times people aren't coming in to look at your financials to be like, oh, you did something bad in your tax return. They're just looking at like historically, how has this money been available to the couple, to the family? And then what does it mean to the value, right? right? That's right. I mean, it's not like in the typical, and you know, you know, as well as I do, Melissa, that you see the outliers, you're always going to see the outliers, but in most situations, kind of, if you go, you know, under the bell curve, so to speak, under the broad part, if people have been running personal expenses through the business, which most of them do, both spouses have benefited and it's not in anyone's interest to try to be a whistleblower and to try to cause problems. It's just you recognize that as part of the value of the business and uh, a good valuation expert um, will let you let both sides know about it. And, and but you, you can't be afraid of that. And that's one of the parts of the education that you have to let the business owner, particularly the small business owner, understand. Right. And you talked a little bit about how one each side could hire an expert. Um, and sometimes those are kind of dueling experts, right? 
um, depending upon who you've hired, there are obviously hired guns and things like that. But in general, what about hiring one expert for both sides? Do you consider that? Do you oh, offer it? I, I like to do that. Mm -hmm. I like to do that. Tell us now, a little bit more about how that works. Well, but let me just say something yeah. going into that. I think if truth be told, and you had two really good experts mm -hmm. looking at the same data, their valuation is not going to be that far off. Right. They might have a few, you know, discount rates that's a little different, that, but they're not going to be that far off. But I, I will tell you, it's becoming more common in my practice for us to use a neutral valuation person because I don't know, St. Louis is probably a lot like Atlanta. There are a lot of valuation experts, but there are only a few that I'll hire. Right. And uh, you can get a person that you know is going to come in and do a good job and it's going to be a reasonable number. And you can tell your client, this is going to be a professional valuation that you can rely on and that you can make decisions going forward based upon it. Uh, I, I like using the neutral. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that, you know, in our profession, we do talk about how if you're going to be an expert witness, like you need to control your credibility. You need to be in control of your reputation. And the only way to do that is to do the work kind of properly, you know, and reasonably. Um, but there are also times, do you ever consider, because I do have a lot of clients that come and maybe we'll talk to a lawyer or a valuation expert before, kind of pre-planning, just to get an idea of like, what maybe is the value of the company? What mm -hmm. maybe is the the issues in the divorce? Do you see some uh, business owners kind of pre-planning to know what to expect? Uh, I kind of wish more of them would. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because, you know, knowledge and education is, is a lot better when you're going into an unknown situation than not knowing what's going on. Uh, I, I wish I could say I have more people approach it that way, but most people come in not, a lot of small business owners don't have any need for valuation people. Mm -hmm. They know what their business is. They know what makes it work. And that's really all they care about. Uh, I mean, I've got it, other folks that are very familiar with valuation people and are comfortable with it. But I would say there's equally a number of, of small business owners who just don't need to operate like that. And mm -hmm. so there's an education process of showing them, yes, you're going to have to open your books. Yes, you're going to have to go through your expenses. And it's part of getting divorced. And right. um, I do the best I can to uh, offer some assurances that the person that's going to look at your business as a professional, they're here just to do a job and to provide a reasonable number for us. Uh, and it's nothing to be afraid of. Right. Well, and I think that that's the biggest part of the divorce process is that if it's your first time going through this process and if you have considerable wealth that may have been developed during the marriage or after, um, there, I think, are more ways that you can mess it up if you don't know. Right. Um, whereas, you know, and some people are like, well, I know the business, you know, um, 
I know enough people that have gotten divorced. I, I could do this myself. Like I could, I could, I can figure it out. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. No, you do. You do run across those people and say, I can do this. I don't have to pay somebody to do this. I know my business better than anyone. That That's when I have to tell them. Yeah. But you have to assume that while the percentages are small, that we're going to end up in a courtroom, we have to conduct this as if we are going to end up in a courtroom. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that you talking about your business and its value is not really going to go very far with the judge. Mm -hmm. Judge doesn't really care what you think about it because they're going to think, okay, he or she's saying this. Okay. Big deal. As opposed to having our own valuation expert or a neutral valuation expert who has experience in this, uh, speaking uh, as a professional, using professional analytics uh, and presenting the information that way, that's going to carry the day with the judge, not you, uh, business owner talking about your business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and so let's, let's go back to the business owner is ready to file for divorce. Right. And so maybe they file, maybe they've contacted you, you know, what do you then typically see will happen when these two people own the business together and get divorced in the state of Georgia? We talked mm -hmm. briefly about it, but like kind of give the lay of the land of what is, ha you know, if there's anything happening in Georgia or what should they expect in this process? Well, that's a great question. Because with delays, with the pandemic, with jury trials, with bench trials, like all of these things, I don't think people have any clue about. So maybe that you can give them just kind of a an idea of what to expect. Sure. Well, like with most things in a divorce, uh, I tell folks to the extent you can maintain the status quo, it's going to be better for everybody. And that especially holds true with a family business. If, if, if we start out the case and the, the people are at each other's throats about how the business is going to be run and how money's going to be taken out or invested we're going to end up in a courtroom. Uh, somebody's going to be asking a judge to appoint a special master or a receiver. And then the business is going to be taken out of your hands. You're not, you're not really going to get to run your business the way you would like to do it. And so that's, that's why I, I just, I can't overemphasize how important it is to try to, even if you, you hate each other's guts and don't trust each other, you've got to try to, put that on the back burner and keep the business viable so that you at least have options, whether you want to be bought out or whether you want to sell it to a third party, because the last thing you want to do is be at each other's throats and run the business in the ground where it has no value. Mm -hmm. Well, and let's, let's go before the pandemic, you know, where you, you get divorced and you file and you're having these great years in the business. And then that year that you're filing, all of a sudden things tank and you're like, well, yeah. I told you it's all, it's all reliant upon me and the industry is going to hack and you know, the future is bleak. What tell people how the attorneys and experts and judges see that because we do kind of see through it. Right. But what does it tell the judges? Well, one of the things, and obviously this is very dependent on the type of business it is. Uh, it's, you know, 
the, the past 18 months have been extraordinary, if you will. Uh, but I think that's why the valuation experts would tell you if they have the data, they would like to use five years as opposed to one year, two years, because the five years is going to give a more accurate valuation. Uh, I think that what, what we have seen is that I won't say we ignored 2020, but if we had historic data for several years before that, that carried much more weight than what happened in 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, it, do you apply a little discount for, for that year? Well, you have to, but we're more interested in the historic record of the business. And I think that's what I've seen uh, parties ultimately agree on. And the few cases that we've been able to try in the, in the last year, that's what I've seen judges do. Yeah, and when you talk about that, I think what the business owner needs to understand is it's not only about the business, it could be about your income potential. <clears throat> it could be about, um, you know, anything that's kind of related to the cash flow into the marriage right. that we're going to look at potentially an average. We're going to look at several years. So, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, I'll just quit my job or I'll, you know, uh, stop working or I just won't show up at the business. You know, all of those things um, are going to be perceived a certain way. That's and right. and I think that that's what you have to understand that that one thing that all of a sudden reduces the income or, or tanks the business, people, we may still look back and say, well, it's still worth something because we're looking at an average that's right. of historical earnings. And people are like, oh, yeah, it, so it didn't work, right? It didn't work for you to manipulate the situation. And that, that goes back to, you know, one of my like rule number one, try to maintain the status quo. Don't do anything. Uh, don't let the divorce run the business. Let the mm -hmm. business run itself and the divorce will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. And I think even, you know, we have, we'll have a lot of clients start moving money moving money to different accounts, moving money inside and outside of retirement, and then, um, you know, trying to prove things are separate or, or things like that, you know? So again, all the players involved in the divorce, attorneys, expert judges, we see this every day, every right? Day. Every day. So you're probably not going to get away with it. <laughs> well, you know, and, it, you know, don't, hesitate to tell me if, if you think I'm just out in left field, what I'm getting ready to say now, but I will tell you, I've been doing this a long time and it's really hard for 90% of the people who come through the door to successfully hide money. It really, it, I mean, I have so many people come in and say, she's hiding money. He's hiding money. Okay. Well, well, get to the bottom of it. It is really hard. It, are, are people able to do it? Sure they are. But most people, A, can't afford to do it, and B, uh, can't cover their tracks well enough to be successful. Right. Because a good valuation person is also going to be a person that helps us uh, prepare a marital balance sheet. And if we have any concerns about mismanagement of marital funds or 
missing marital funds, if you will, we're going to go back through the records for a long time and do a tracing and, oh, there's that retirement account. Or look at all these ATM withdrawals, things like that. It's hard to hide. It's really hard. Yeah, because all of us are looking for patterns, you mm -hmm. know, so we're going to look for patterns. And if the pattern changes, then and and I think that we as people don't understand how much we operate in patterns, right? We get pizza every Friday, we get, you know, Chick-fil-A every Wednesday, we get whatever, you know, like we go to the gas station every Tuesday. Like I've seen so many people's personal information that we all operate in patterns. Sure. Um, but I think that one thing that you talked about is tracing, right? Tracing of assets. And I don't think people totally understand that, but this kind of leads into it and maybe you can explain it. If the business, um, if, if one person believes, because that's really what it is, that the business could be a separate asset. It was created before the marriage or, or it follows in, in the path of being separate. Um, how do you deal with separate property in Georgia in this situation? Great question. And probably I, I would argue the most complicated topic that we deal with today in, in, this, in this analysis. Uh, first, ideally, if you have a viable business and you decide to get married, please get yourself a prenup. That's, that would be rule number one. Uh, that's what I tell folks. Uh, I, I, you know, I particularly tell folks who uh, get divorced and I think are high candidates to get remarried at some point in the future, get a prenup because that way, at least you can establish a baseline that I'm bringing this asset in. It's mine. It has a value when we get married. And so I've at least got that going for me. Now, that's when the hard stuff comes in because you bring the business in. You keep working in the business. Maybe your spouse works in it. Maybe he or she doesn't. Uh, but hopefully, if things go right, that business is going to appreciate. And that's when we get into this whole analysis of active appreciation versus passive appreciation. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that, yeah. that, that's when you have the battling experts. That's when nobody's going to agree to hire a neutral expert. If, if you have a situation of a pre-existing business, appreciation during a marriage, we're getting divorced, then it's going to be the battle of experts as to what is active and what is passive. Right. Well, and I think that, you know, we do things a little differently in that if, you know, sometimes it is what it is, right? Sometimes um, I think I've seen pretty significant financial planning in high net worth divorces. Um, if you have family wealth that goes back a couple generations, that's usually the best prepared to get divorced or to get married and then divorced. That's not, it's not a good, you know, I know it's hard for people to kind of plan ahead with a prenup, but I will say that there's ways to protect your separate assets. Sure. And those well, are the things you need to focus on. <laughs> a good prenup is basically if you come in with a viable business and the prenup at least I would say 
most of the ones that I prepare, there are a few exceptions, and I've actually got one right now that, that we're working on that's going to be an exception. Most of them are going to provide, I get this business, I get any appreciation of whatever nature occurs, active or passive. It doesn't matter whether my new spouse works in the business, the business is going to be mine. Whatever it's worth when we get divorced, however it's appreciated, it's all mine. That's what most prenups are going to say. Now, I think I have to footnote that with something I've got going on right now, and it's not all that unusual, where you get somebody in a second marriage, and they've got a spouse who they realize they might have not quite done, made some good decisions with their first spouse. They want to try to do better. And so then they want to work up a mechanism where the efforts that I put in during the marriage to this pre-existing business somehow count toward the marital pot. Hmm. Uh, that I don't do a lot of that, but as I said, I'm doing one right now like that. And that, that, that's complicated. Hmm. It's complicated, but you are right. If you want to protect it, we can do that. If you give us enough planning, if we don't have that opportunity, if we just come in with the business and the prenup's not properly drafted, or you don't have a prenup, then we're going to get into this active passive analysis. Can't help it. Mm -hmm. Well, and it, 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 because it typically, and, and again, every state is different. It's going mm -hmm. to be very important for anybody who's listening. If you are in a particular state, that's why you have to reach out to people in that state that can operate in that state. Mm -hmm. But in general, like in the state of Missouri, um, income on separate assets is marital, right? So the earnings of the business, if they stay in or stay out, there's some issues there, but you know, like all of these things you have to consider, but um, appreciation. So you have the separate business that comes in and it grows over time. Right. And it is still separate and the marital and the separate contribution is how much did you as an individual contribute to it increasing in value and how much did you sit back and it just, increase in value. Like sometimes we'll have um, a person that owns a company, but maybe they're just the vice president. Maybe it's a huge family business, mm -hmm. right? And the business increased over time, but like they just kind of count things, you know, like they just do inventory, they just do something, but they're owners as well. So like all of those have to be taken into account, right? Six months before COVID, I spent eight trial days trying that very issue. It was a big family business and uh, the the client on the other side uh, was a vice president. Mm -hmm. And we argued for days with multiple experts about what was active. That is, what did his efforts do versus passive? He's sitting in an office while this other side of the business is the one really causing the profits to go up. Mm -hmm. So it's, it gets very complicated, with, especially without a prenup. Yeah. And a lot of times what I'm telling most people is that, you know, you can work with experts to try to understand and work in phases, right? That first phase might be to understand, like, what are the biggest issues? Because a lot of times it could there could be a perception of a big issue, right? And then it's like, okay, yeah, that is not a big issue. But this one over here, mm -hmm. we need to be mindful of. And right. then like, okay, what, how do we deal with those issues? 
because it isn't a rush to trial, right? That's not what we're doing. Yeah. All of the space in between is to try to settle certain issues, to figure out if there is an issue, if they have proof. You know, talk a little bit about how do you prove whose burden of proof is saying that the asset is separate, if you well, say anything Georgia, is separate. In Georgia, if it's the burden of proof is on the party claiming the separateness of the asset to prove it. Um, you, you, if you don't mind, let me just make one comment yeah. on something you just said. One of the reasons that you settle these cases out of court is because you control the narrative, if you will, meaning the documents that settle the case. I had a case several years ago, family business, and uh, one, it, it was, you know, case one. Basically, one spouse was going to buy out the other. Mm -hmm. uh, it was more complicated than that, but that was basically what happened. Um, both sides submitted proposals in the form of proposed orders to the judge about how the, the uh, monitoring should go what records should be made available, how the accounting should go. The judge decided to go out on his own, not follow what either of us said, to try to do a hybrid. And I can tell you those people had a mess for several years. Whereas if we've settled the case, we would have done it in the most efficient way and saved them tens of thousands of dollars. That, that's, that's one reason on, on a closely held business, if possible, you stay out of court. You've got to control the documents. Well, yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of um, business owners and family businesses, there is a concern. You know, sometimes there's enough money to go around, right? Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't mean that everybody wants to give them, you know, like they feel like they're giving the money, but there's usually enough money to go around. The, the issue is, how like what well, how are we going how are we going to split okay can we split the business in half can you take half can we split the dog in half you know these types of things um that are happening that lead to complications oh, yeah. um, and it's really sometimes it's just the people are getting aggravated well i want the dog, right? Well, like you could figure out everything else. So sometimes it's emotions and things like that. But for the most part, if you know, if you get good attorneys to kind of and experts to kind of face the facts, because the reality is the facts are the facts. I mean, I have a hard time with with contriving financial numbers because it just is what it is. That's it. Like, and, and unfortunately, and the more you start to face it, I think sometimes the faster the process can go. You know, if you're just like, forget it, I hate that person, they're never gonna get my business, um, then you're probably hurting yourself as well as that other person, right? Yeah, I mean, it's really the proverbial killing the golden goose. Mm -hmm. It really is. Uh, and you also, another thing that you got to get the client who wants to buy the business uh, from the other spouse, you have got to get them past that mentality of, okay, they don't have enough cash to buy them up front. They don't want to, you know, take on debt, you know, from a third party lender 
to pay the money, although that's not a bad way to go. Um, but they say, okay, I'll pay you X dollars over the next five years, whatever. You've got to get them over the mentality of, wait a minute, I'm working in the business every day and now I've got to pay my ex uh, for my hard work. And, you know, you're telling, well, you're not really doing that. The value is being set now. You're going to increase it in value. You just got to pay for the value now. But getting over this, I'm working for my ex mentality is sometimes harder than it should be. Well, and I'll take it a little step back, right? If we go back, a lot of times, one of the contributing factors to a divorce is the way you talk about money to your spouse. No question. And if you say, well, I work and I make the money and you don't, in, or you start facilitating a, um, oh gosh, what do you give kids, right? When you give them a, an allowance, right? Yeah. When you start talking about terms that put you as a parent and your spouse as a child, that is, you know, so some of these we already know are going to exist because you are getting divorced and, and, and we know that those conversations, but even courts around the country have acknowledged that if one person goes and works and one person stays home with the family, that they are equally providing. No doubt. No doubt. And you so know, the courts recognize that. Yeah. hundred oh, percent. It's sometimes when I speak to non-legal groups, about divorce, you always get the question, what, what's, what's the most common reason people get divorced or have marital problems? And I know what they think I'm going to say. They think I'm going to say infidelity. Mm -hmm. I don't say that because I don't think it is the most common. I say lack of financial transparency. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just like you said, it's one, uh, one of the spouses thinks they're a parent and the other's a child. And this is my business and my money. And I'm going to give you an allowance. Mm -hmm. You can use this credit card and I'll pay it. Mm -hmm. uh, don't go over your limit. Mm -hmm. um, that causes to me, in my experience, that's one of the biggest causes people get divorced. Mm -hmm. And some of the, and, and a lot of the mistrust comes mm -hmm. from that. Like, I don't know how many times I can have clients come into my office and say, I don't know what we own. I don't know. I don't know how many bank accounts we have. I don't know where they're located. I don't know how many houses or cars we have because one person was able to spend whatever they want with nobody checking. And then the other person was given the allowance and like you have, you know, a certain number and, oh yes, you can use a credit card anytime you want, but I'm going to be checking. And what, what, what did you spend $32 and 53 cents on? Yet I went and bought a $10,000 boat, right? Happens and all the time. It happens all the time. So and that mistrust is coming from not knowing, knowing that the person is going out there and purchasing all this stuff, right? but not really knowing how much is coming in. Is it financed by debt? That's a big thing. Oh, like yeah. somebody could be buying a bunch of stuff and like, oh, he spends all this money. We have all this money coming in. Little do they know it's all financed with credit cards and right. debt, you know, cause somebody wants to look, look successful. Yep. And we'll yep. see that a lot as well. Smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Uh, and you know, one of the things that you, you have to try to educate 
the uninformed spouse about is don't don't be embarrassed, ashamed that you don't know this financial information because our job is to get that information so that when we get to the point of hopefully settling your case, you're going to know everything there is out there, all the income questions, all the asset and liability questions, and then you're going to be informed enough to make a good decision about how to get yourself out of this marriage and getting control of your finances. Well, and the reality is a lot of times when we come in, we're kind of, we're kind of the financial quarterback of the mm -hmm. divorce. Okay. So we're coming in and making sure everybody's looking in all the right corners and everything is covered. But in that process, um, you know, sometimes we are identifying things that like, oh, I didn't know that $50,000 came in at this, but we're also telling them, listen, we're the financial quarterback, which means the attorneys need us, which means the the business owner, but nobody totally understands all of these concepts. So that that sometimes will help the financially, you know, the person that doesn't understand everything. It's like, no, you. this is the time to ask all the questions because you're going to have to function after this in some capacity financially. And that's okay. going to be important. That's right. And, you know, I, I tell folks when we have our first meeting that, uh, and usually people want to say, well, what about a private investigator? Mm. And I go, and I, I don't want to upset any of my friends who are private investigators now, but I tell them, I think our money would be better spent hiring a good financial expert mm -hmm. because eventually that's what it's going to come down to. Mm -hmm. Does the infidelity matter that a PI might find? Well, it might matter maybe, but I promise you, you'll get more bang for your buck through having a good financial expert to help you get through all of these issues. Because when we get to the end of the line here, we want you to be financially knowledgeable, financially independent. We want to have you with somebody who's going to help you and be your person to advise you going forward so that you have this independence that you deserve. Mm -hmm. No, I, I completely agree. And I think this is, this is kind of a trick question, but you know, not every situation needs a full blown valuation, right? And, and not always if, if you don't have a business, you know, like sometimes you don't have a business and you're just like, but I, we have a lot of different assets, right? Mm -hmm. So these, these financial people that you can get involved, um, may have different knowledge about pensions or, you know, stock options. Sometimes you just have a, an executive, right? Mm -hmm. But in these divorces where you see a business, do you always say we have to have a business valuation or are there some cases or some situations that it's like, you know, it's a single person or it's a smaller entity? Um, what do you what do you think about that? Uh, I don't think you always need a business valuation in every case. I think in. Well, let me say it like this. In most of the cases that I handle, I like to have a financial expert to help me with the marital balance sheet, to make sure we don't stub our toe on properly dividing certain retirement assets, on properly dividing uh, uh, in, in 
benefits of employment, such, such as stock stock option plans. Mm-hmm. But if it's, for instance, if you have a, uh, just a lawyer uh, in a law firm, are you going to try to value that law firm? No, no, because his interest is pretty transparent. Uh, as a solo practitioner, are you going to try to value his practice? No, because most of the value is him. It's goodwill. And, and in Georgia, goodwill doesn't count toward the valuation. So, you know, obviously it's a case-by-case analysis, but I would tell you if you have some assets and if they have any complexity, and, and by any complexity, I mean a pension plan, stock option plan, things like that, you need to have this other person to make sure that you get the asset that you're bargaining to get and you don't how somehow uh, not get it properly allocated. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that sometimes, you know, sometimes the business owners do have a decent idea about the value of the business. Most of the time, I will say they think the business is worth way more than it is until they get divorced and then it's worth nothing. But in that capacity, a lot of times what I tell clients is, you know, like we can run numbers, we can get an idea is it, what's the reasonable range of value? Because that's really where you want to settle, somewhere in there, right? That's right. That's right. But also our job there is to convince the other attorney that they should kind of be scared that we're involved. Like sure. that's kind of what I want to do. But sure. also that we're prepared. So we're prepared, we've reviewed the documents, we know what is separate, you know, like we, we've done the analysis. And when they see that on the other side, they might be like, oh, we haven't we haven't hired any experts. We haven't we haven't even looked at the documents. You know, they might they might move towards settlement, and that might be because money isn't always all the issues in divorce. There could be other things that we want to keep quiet. For right? sure. For sure. And frankly, it was kind of goes back to something we talked about at, at at the start, and that is if you've been running personal expenses through the business a little more aggressively than you should. It's in nobody's interest to sit in the courtroom and have somebody testify about all that because mm-hmm. then you run the risk of other people getting involved. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing that you brought up that I think we might want to talk just a little bit about, because again, <clears throat> people assume that like if we have two cabinets, right, you take a cabinet, I take a cabinet. Mm-hmm. If we have, you know, all of these assets and you talked about a marital balance sheet. And so maybe just give people a little bit of an idea of how we try to split things that, that mm-hmm. maybe they don't, you know, like, is it always just equal? Uh, so Georgia is uh, an equitable division state. Uh, I don't know. There's, Pretty much, there's equitable division, and there's community property. Yes, we're Georgia's, Georgia's as well. Yeah. So, what I tell people, pretty much, depending on the size of the marital estate, you're pretty much going to divide your. If you've had a marriage of any length, you're pretty much going to divide whatever's been accumulated equally. Fifty. Mm-hmm. At least that's what happens here. I mean, are there some aberrations for very, very high net worth? Yes, but let's just talk about where most folks live. So how do we do that? Well, we assemble this marital balance sheet. 
which lists every asset and every liability that folks have accumulated during the marriage, real estate, uh, investment accounts, savings accounts, retirement plans, uh, you, you know, uh, benefits of employment, whatever it is. We list them all on this sheet by category and try to get values on everything through the use of statements, things like that. Uh, or appraisals, whatever you want to use. And all of those will have a total. And so then our job is to figure out what's a fair way to divide this stuff equally. How do I put what into each column? The typical example I tell folks is if you've got $100,000 in a 401k retirement plan, you've got $100,000 in a savings account, you can't say, all right, you take the 401k plan and I'll take the savings account because the money's not equal. Mm -hmm. The money's not equal because of the penalties and taxes associated with the retirement plan. So part of our job is to make sure that your half is really half. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is just sort of an aside. I, I, I encounter sometimes folks who say, well, I've got to have the marital residence on my side of the ledger. And I try to caution folks to keep your mind open about that because the value of real estate, while we can get, while we can get appraisals, it's, it's just, it's all it is. It's, it's speculative. It's what somebody thinks. The only way you know what a piece of real estate is worth is when you actually sell it. So if you really want true value, then you have to be prepared to sell the real estate. Uh, so, but that's, that's, what I mean by marital balance is just the assets and liabilities that have been accumulated. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and it doesn't, it, it can be even, but it doesn't mean that each thing has to be split. Right. That's right. Like, oh, for sure. That's right. Yeah. That, that's exactly right. So you could take the house, you know, and, and I think everybody perceives that the house is like this best thing, but you know, it's a lot of cash sitting in there doing nothing. Um, it also may carry a lot of, uh, monthly carry cost with it that mm -hmm. do you want to be house poor? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's just, it's refocusing the person and saying, you know, you want a comfortable place. You want something like this. All of these things are great, but could they be somewhere else? Mm -hmm. But, but Bob, my husband cheated on me. So I should get everything. I should get like 95%. Yeah. What about that? Uh, I get some come in and say it and you know, I, 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 I don't even say, well, we can try because I know that's a waste of time. Right. It's a waste of time. Um, and I just, I, I go with the truth because you know, my, my philosophy with folks is, you know, yes, I'm your advocate and I'm going to try to do the best I can for you. But uh, really you want me to tell you the truth. And, mm -hmm. and what's attainable. So, okay, so he did cheat and I'm, and I'm sorry, but yeah. unless, and this, this is going to sound terrible and I don't mean it, unless his conduct was really aberrational, it's not going to move the meter that much from 50-50. Right. And, and to be just, even take it one step further in ridiculousness, like it has to be almost like, beyond what you could even imagine 
like anything that you can imagine is probably still good. <laughs> the court's not going to care about because again, you have to remember, we all see this daily. So we see these things happen and the court's kind of like, okay, well, so how are we going to split this up? You know, the time that you get a little value for it um, is if the, the offending spouse has spent a lot of marital money on maintaining the uh, uh, adulterous relationship, you're not going to get it back dollar for dollar, but you might get uh, some payback, if you will, of money expended like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen judges do that. Uh, but as we both have said, the conduct really has to be aberrational mm -hmm. uh, to, to cause some sort of uh, crazy result. Well, and, and before we kind of talk, because you've given us so much knowledge, and I think that people are probably, okay, I need to talk to them. I'm in Georgia. I need to talk to them. Um, now, before we talk more about your firm, I have one final question, which is, do you have any suggestions? We talked about a little bit at the beginning, but do you have any suggestions for a business owner who wants to get prepared? And I don't mean contriving things, but just to start to understand what their own reality is, right? Do, can they just, should they just set an appointment, an initial appointment with any attorney? Should they talk to a bunch of attorneys? Like, what do you think is the next, the, a good step to understand? Well, I think the first step is to meet with somebody, a lawyer, uh, you know, everybody's, it's like everything else. Everybody's different. Um, my personality may, might not mesh with a certain person. Uh, sure. You know, you know, as well as I do, somebody can come in now and you can tell within 10 or 15 minutes if the way that I conduct a case is going to be the way this person wants a case conducted. Right. But I, I'd suggest they would do that just so they can understand the process and understand how their business is going to be impacted. And that's when I, I tell them what we've talked about of the, you know, make sure your records are good, make sure they're uh, complete and thorough, make sure your CPA has got your P&Ls and all your documents lined up. And again, I know we've said it before, I'll say it once more, don't let the tail wag the dog. Don't turn down new projects. Uh, don't torpedo existing projects. Try to make as much money as you can because it's in everybody's interest. Right. And we know we know business owners get unfocused, right? But it's the same thing that we tell business owners when they go to sell their company. Don't do anything different. Just continue exactly what you're doing. Make the best decisions for the business, yep. not for you, not for your spouse or anything like that. Um, and and kind of play above boards. You know, if you have been running things to the business, maybe you want to not do so much of that, you know, but it really doesn't, you know, I've only had one situation where we've been in trial and there's been some thought that they defrauded the IRS, right? And that we were kind of, the attorneys will, were pulled back in chambers, but that doesn't happen all the time because most of the time it, it's, 
it really is you can expense some of these things like your telephone bill you know like you can expense your car things like that within reason and we assume that your accountant has done that but um just collecting the data you know like we have document request lists you can find them you can google them start to put together because a lot of time is in the collection of that data even to go to you and say okay i have a business and you're like well, do you have any tax returns prior tax returns and they're like oh i didn't know i needed oh you know so even doing some of that prep work i think is far as to give a, a brand new client the list of documents that any good uh, financial expert's going to want and say you, you, know, you might as well go ahead and start working on this because it's coming right right and and you want to be ready <laughs> Well, tell us more about your firm, um, Bob, and uh, Georgia, if that's the state that you practice most in, if there's any other states that your firm also practices in, um, that is super helpful as well. Sure. Uh, we pretty much practice all over the state of Georgia. We've handled a few cases in Florida because one of my partners is licensed in Florida. Um, we've got 16 lawyers in our firm that do nothing but family law. Uh, my partner, John Collar, and I started this firm in 2005, and uh, two other folks who we had practiced with years before uh, joined us in 2009, uh, and we've added people along the, along the way. Um, but uh, we, uh, you know, do you get involved with any mediation or collaborative or anything like that? I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, I'm, I'm mainly, you know, represent clients, but sometimes when folks call me, I'll uh, uh, do a mediation as the mediator. I will uh, do arbitrations as the arbitrator. But, you know, I try to emphasize to folks, you know, if, if we have to go to the courthouse, we know what to do when we get there. But my job is to keep you out of the courtroom. Mm -hmm. and I think all of our lawyers follow that same philosophy. What, one of the great things about our firm, frankly, that I'm, I'm very proud of is I feel like that somebody could come in and see me and I would talk to them about what I think about their case. Um, and then they could go to any other lawyer in our firm and they're going to hear the same advice. I, I think that's, that speaks, uh, very well of us because we we all have the same philosophy about how we think these cases ought to be handled because we know it's not in a person's interest to have some judge or in georgia a jury determine their financial future that that is in nobody's interest and our job is to try to figure it out how we can keep folks out of court but being treated fairly yeah and that's that's the key is that when you're a, approaching an attorney or a lawyer um, you, you really need to have the same philosophy about your divorce as right. they do. You know, if they're just going to try to, because there are attorneys that just try to take a client all, you know, like charge, charge, charge a client all the way to trial. And then they're like, okay, now we'll settle. So there are attorneys that have reputations that may not align with your goals. And right. that's going to be important. Also, the personality you talked about is really important because it's not that these things go on for a long time, but they are a process and you do you do spend some quality time with your attorney and you're kind of your team, 
right? You know, you're you're developing a team that helps you through this process. And, and you have to be, you have to all be reading from the same page. I mean, it's it's really it's really important, and that's what I meant when I said before. I can tell in a few minutes if somebody is not going to be a good fit for us because their philosophy on how they want to get divorced is is not aligned with us. And, mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, but you said about, yeah, are there lawyers out there that think they're going to retire from one case? Yeah, unfortunately there are. But I've always said to people, the best thing that can happen to me to a client is for me to get your case settled as quickly as possible, as fairly as possible, so that you go tell people, I got a fair result. I understood everything and I didn't pay an arm and a leg. Mm-hmm. Right, right. No, I think that's all good advice. So we thank you for all of the information. And um, I'm sure people will reach out to you and ask you more questions. Um, and then if we come up with a new topic, some fun thing happening in Georgia, then we'll have you back on as, a, as another guest. Well, thank you for having me. And as I told you one time, one of the topics that we ought to talk about as the rollover of trust and estate planning and how it impacts divorces. Oh, that that's seems, a really interesting topic. That seems complicated too. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might be the next topic then, Bob. I think you got it. <laughs> well, thanks so much. And we'll thank talk you. to you soon. All right.